Hi, I'm Andrew Yang. This is Compassionate Las Vegas, the podcast. Welcome to Compassionate Las Vegas, the podcast. I'm Will Rucker, and today we've got a very special guest in our political season, which who would have thought we'd talk about politics here, right? So I'd like to welcome Andrew Yang. Hello. Hey, it's great to be here. Thanks for having me. So glad that you're here. I'm, I'm truly honored. And when I say I'm honored, I don't like just say that because, you know, I'm supposed to. I mean it. Oh, wow. That's so kind. Uh, I, I'm... Uh, thrilled to be here. One, to support your campaign. Uh, Will needs to get into the Nevada State Assembly where he can do the people's work. Uh, and, and two, uh, just thrilled to be able to sit and discuss these issues with a leader who wants to help people and promote compassion, solutions. I know that that's one of the things that we're going to talk about. Yeah, so um, dive right in. And this is the hardest question, I promise, of the entire show. And it's simply, how do you define compassion? Compassion is uh, genuinely feeling someone else's pain or struggle uh, and having that influence your behavior or attitude. I like that. That brings in the empathetic piece as well as then the action piece, which I think is so important. Yeah, I, I get frustrated when people uh, restrain their their empathy to uh, inaction, <laughs> shall we say, uh, or faux action, which right now takes the form of social media. It's like, hey, if I liked or uh, uh, hearted or retweeted that, then I did my job. Meanwhile, you know, some someone's life is uh, not going to be improved by that. Yeah, absolutely. And social media has been, uh, of course, you know, anything that you're trying to promote, it's it's one of those necessary evils, so to speak, yeah. where you have to engage, but it's so polarizing. Yeah, it, it's, uh, I, I say all the time that social media is pouring gasoline on, uh, on various fires that are being started in, in our public discourse, where first you have political incentives that drive you towards corners and particular directions, which is one thing the forward party is trying to remedy. Uh, then second, you have media organizations that enjoy separating us into camps. And then you have social media uh, exacerbating the, the entire thing and separating us into a thousand or a million different camps. So it, it's going to be tough to, to bring us back together it's one reason why candidates like you are so important, in my, my opinion, because it's very, very difficult for someone to spend five seconds with you and be like, oh, th this guy, you know, <laughs> like, like this guy just wants the, the clout or like the authority. You know, I mean, a a anyone who spends any time with you is like, OK, like, like I may or may not agree with everything that Will's about, but I certainly sense he's um, he's positively intended uh, and he's a person of faith. Let's talk about those intentions for a bit, because with the Ford Party, one of the things that you have constantly had to battle against is you're just really promoting yourself. You ran for president and then ran for mayor, and now you have a party. And so people are like, well, what's the real motive? And I don't just mean like conservatives. It's conservatives, liberals. <laughs> Everyone's kind of coming. How do you balance 
uh, just navigating that and, and staying true with your true intention. You know what's what, what's a really odd critique is that it's actually about a thousand times easier to promote yourself as part of one of the two major parties. You know what I mean? There's like this giant apparatus built in and a lot of energy and press and you raise your hand and do that. Then people are like, okay, I get this. And we're seeing folks, including folks I know, who are getting distorted or shaping themselves because they're running in one party or another and then they're saying all these things. I'm like, I don't think you really believe that. Um, but but that is where the energy is. Mm-hmm. So someone saying, "Hey, you're starting this new thing because <laughs> you know, like you want the shine." It's like you have these billion dollar parties and apparatuses, uh, you know, bestowing that upon people. Like we're trying to build an alternative um, because it's what the country needs. It's what people want, and and we're um, trying to reconnect this bond between people and their representatives, which right now is is uh, fractured and attenuated for a bunch of reasons. Yeah. So w- the way I view this party, and please tell me if, if you view it differently, is we're kind of the tip of the spear. And then we've got to just get everybody else to kind of come along. Because what you're you're doing is really saying, let's collaborate. Let's do the things that make sense to the most of us, which, of course, scares progressives because they, they hear moderate and think, status quo. And it scares the conservatives because they're like, we don't want change. So do you see the party as kind of that tip of the sphere? Or are we past that? Are we we more forward than I would say? No, I I think your your perception is um, spot on uh, where where we're this vanguard. And um, I ran for office um, on some pretty bold policies. Uh, and so uh, I, I think there's this misconception that you necessarily, um, that being moderate in tone or approach or collegial or conciliatory, maybe we all come together and we decide we want to do something really big. You know what I mean? Like, like just like the, the fact is right now, nothing big is going to get done in this current system because you don't get rewarded for doing anything big. Um, uh, and so if you reform... I'm still about the same things I was about when I was running for for president, um, including Dr. King's vision against poverty. And I mean, he was also against racism and war, um, which I'd also love to, you know, like uh, remedy. But poverty struck me as the easiest. <laughs> really? Frankly, <laughs> oh yeah, because poverty. I mean, there's a there's a solution to poverty. Just you know, okay. put I a certain you. amount of money in people's hands, and then you know, you've pretty much done it. Um, uh, and I, you know, look, looking at our society. So I, I ran for president on that idea. And uh, I still think that we should be um, striving for big, bold solutions like that. Um, but I've concluded that our current political system will never deliver anything like that. And so if you were to refashion our political system where it listened to most of us, then all sorts of things could be on the table. And I don't know if if that falls in, into like this moderate centrist um, critique. Uh, I'm I'm sympathetic. So here here it is. Uh, you know, it's like I I, uh, I was a Democrat for a long time. Um, I ran on this anti-poverty platform, and I thought that people on the far left would be like, okay, like I'm totally into this because uh, you know this is even like further than Bernie was willing to go. Uh, you know what I mean? Um, but that that was not the response because it was just something new and different. Um, and what I came to realize over time was that, um, unfortunately, we're having increasingly 
abstract ideological conversations that are independent of what it would mean to people in real life. Maybe because we don't even think anything these things are going to happen in real life. <laughs> you know what I mean? Like, like I'll argue for, you know, uh, and by by the way, something I, I'm uh, you know I campaigned on as well. It's like I think we should have universal health care in this country. Um, but but there are so many structural impediments to having something like um, uh, like universal health care that uh, I I would end up. Um, I, I would pose the, the, the fact that, again, uh, you know, you, we need to reform our political system if we're going to be able to de deliver on certain things. So there are, there are different reasons why people are going to come to this, uh, this conciliatory space, this uh, compassionate space. Um, and we may have wildly divergent policy views, um, but we should come together and say, look, the, the status quo is going to deliver us what? Uh, antagonism, hatred ruin, dysfunction, um, regardless of where you are on this generally fabricated left-right ideological spectrum. Like you look at it and be like, look, like we're all going to lose in this world. So let's try and fix this. And then if we ha can have intelligent principle discussions about what we really want to do, then I might not get everything I want, but I'm still going to be in a better place than I am now. Uh, especially if you're one of the vast majority of Americans who feels like you're on the outside looking in. What I say is like, it's not left versus right. It's not like this other set of Americans your enemy. It's, it's those of us on the outside looking in um, versus those who are kind of at the, the few levers of the, the, the machinery on the inside. And the outsiders at this point are the alienated or the marginalized or like the left behind, I mean, must outnumber the insiders at this point what? 10 to 1, <laughs> you know, like, like so, something very dramatic. And so when you raise your hand and you're like, yeah, I don't think the system's working so well for me, they'll be like, you know who, who's to blame? Those people over there who are not like you and they disagree with you on this or that. And you're like, I'm not sure that's, <laughs> like, I don't know if that's my problem. It's one reason why I'm so pumped about um, the opportunity here in Nevada to, to move away from party primaries. Um, because the, the party primaries end up setting you up in the, this like, hey, it's like this, this tribal conflict and there are these two tribes and like you're going to be in one tribe or the other and then we're going to like, ah, yeah, yeah. And, then, and, 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 and the darkest thing is when you go to them and be like, hey, we'd like to change the system. It turns out the people in those tribes like, like it this way. Yeah. Let's, let's, let's <laughs> talk about the right choice in just a minute. But before we get there, healthcare. You mentioned you were for universal healthcare, universal basic income. Uh, I think that all of those are uh, moderate ideas. I think that everyone having a college education in the year 2022 is a moderate idea. Why do you think that the political parties on both sides have failed to produce what the majority of people want? Yeah, and, and the, the system's just been lagging behind for, for years and years and years. Uh, there's been a corruption of the American political system, and it's taken place over... Uh, I would say about 40 years, uh, you know, um, starting in the 80s, in my opinion. Um, there were intellectual underpinnings to it. There, there was this school of thought out of um, some of the business schools around how, uh, like, uh, shareholder values are the only measurement for, for business success. And then that ended up permeating different pockets of American life, including the culture and, and the government. I used to joke about how... Uh, Universal basic income seemed far out when I was running for president on it, but it was a very mainstream idea during the 60s. Um, and then today, it just seems far out because we've gotten so far out of whack, uh, like, like that that uh, the almighty dollar kind of got a hold of things and started um, 
dominating progress like more and more of, of our society starting uh, around 1980 or so. I don't know why. I, so you know why 1980s in my mind as like when all this stuff went down is because there are um, because I, I've looked at the curves of um, of the American standard of living mm -hmm. uh, and the difference between productivity and income. Um, so up until around the late 1970s, those curves were like more or less lined up where like American productivity and American standard of living were going up at the same rate. And then starting in around 1980, uh, like productivity kept going up and then standard of living started to plateau where we, we weren't making any more money essentially since the, the 80s for like the average American. Um, by the way, then we jacked up the costs of the healthcare, education and housing. And that's why Americans are so pissed off and um, uh, and distraught. Uh, the American dream, which my family came to this country for, is just that your kids are going to do better than you. Um, and today, uh, most of our kids aren't going to do better than us, and it's pissing everyone off. And you're looking up being like, well, like, what the hell happened? And, and then the political figures, again, will be like, nothing to see here. Like, you know who's to blame? Like, those guys. <laughs> and you're like, wait, wait a minute. Like, like, shouldn't this be an everyone problem? Uh, you know, whether you're a rural white family in a red state or, uh, you know, like a, a black family in a blue city. Yeah. The, the parties are a challenge. And as a Democrat, I can say that from the inside and say that even though we are, I'm doing air quotes for those listening, one party, we're not one party. We don't all think the same. We're not a monolith. There are a variety of ideas and approaches within even the Democratic Party. But what I think unites us is value what we believe in, not necessarily how we get there, but what we believe in, I think, is a unifying factor. For those that would say having multiple parties dilutes something like the Democratic Party because we are such a big tent and empowers radical conservatives, how would you address that issue? You know, I, I, I feel like the standard for the Democratic Party and for our political system generally uh, would just be how our people, families, and communities doing. Um, and so if you make the argument that, look, like the current mechanics are working great for people, families, and communities, um, then I would respectfully disagree <laughs> and say, like, it seems like people, families, and communities are not, like, you know, um, uh, prioritized in, in this political system. And, and that should be the entire goal of the political system. Like, the goal of the political system should not be uh, any one party or another. The purpose of our politics is not our parties. The purpose of our politics is whether our kids are going to live better lives than, than we are. Um, uh, and, and so if, let's say hypothetically, we were all in a world where we were confident our kids were going to live better lives than, than we are, and the Democratic Party was like, hey, look, we did that, then I, I would look up and be like, yeah, okay, cool. Um, but but in, instead, we're not in that world. <laughs> we're in a world where, like, where like reasonable people are looking up, um, uh, very very anxious and terrified about the future their kids are inheriting. Problems get worse, not better. Uh, and the, the Democratic Party um, it isn't really um, uh, tied to the, the the fortunes of the Democratic Party are not tied to ours. Like that, that's the fundamental disconnect that has to be remedied. Uh, and in, in my view, the best way to like there, you know, uh, like I vastly prefer a good person in office to someone who's less good. Mm -hmm. um, but 
we, we should know that we're past a point now where if I get a good person into a particular seat, that all will be well, you know, like there have been good people in various good seats and like the reality is degraded. Uh, and then people are getting more and more frustrated and pissed off. And, and, and so if someone says like, hey, Andrew, which obviously I have heard is like, hey, Andrew, like, you know, like you were team Dem and now you're not team Dem. And like, you know, like, like it, like, you know, I don't like that. Then I'll be like, look, like I'm doing what I think is best for American families and, and, uh, communities. And if you make it so that like that someone like me has, uh, less to do, great. <laughs> you know what I mean? Like if, the, if anyone like, you know, like democratic party or, or whomever starts going around improving people's lives and solving, solving problems, I'm all for it. Yeah. What I hear in this is you have a long range view and it's fueled by hope, not fear. And for me, one of the things I would seek to do with this podcast is really amplify hope and give people a reason to believe that things are possible again. And I think there are a lot of people who have lost hope and are so disenfranchised that they don't think better is possible. And so different is very scary. And so I want to talk about ranked choice voting because it's been such an issue and we're, we're at the tail end of the election and quite a few folks have already voted. So, you know, we're talking to the folks that are, are really either on the fence or just, you know, had obstacles to keep them from voting. But one of the arguments of, against ranked choice voting is that it doesn't fundamentally change the issue, which many people see as the undue influence of finance in politics. What do you think about that? Oh, uh, I, I would agree that money in politics is a massive problem, and I wouldn't, I wouldn't suggest right choice voting is going to fix it. Um, I, I think that uh, we should be trying to fix different problems in different ways. Um, but I, I do think that ranked choice voting would open up the system so that let's say that I was someone, actually I'll use myself, let's say I was like someone from another party, showed up and be like, hey guys, I want to give everyone money, like that, that's, that's my big idea. Um, and, and you have ranked choice voting, then different people can say, well, you know what, like I, I'm going to take a chance on that candidate or that party and then rank, let's say, Democrat second so that there isn't any harm done to the party that like I've been traditionally supporting. Um, that, that strikes me as a win. Um, and uh, that doesn't solve the, the fact that we have way too much money in politics. But you can imagine new entrants that are scrappier and don't have a whole lot of money actually getting some headway and traction in a system where people are allowed to vote however they like without fearing they're going to waste their vote because like no one wants to waste their vote like like I, you know it's like if you think this candidate has zero chance you're like yeah like voting for that candidate doesn't seem very wise um but if i can vote for that candidate and then just rank the more traditional candidate i think is going to win second and just know that no harm was done um then that should be good for people and parties with less resources yeah. I, I mean, I see it that way. I certainly do. And I'm one of those people that believes in voting my values. And what I have seen is sometimes it's a choice between voting your values and knowing you're going to lose or kind of voting for the lesser of two horrible outcomes. Well, yeah, I mean, the, the, these systems uh, have set us up and pit us against each other in a way that's really um, false and unfair to us. Mm -hmm. It's like what, what you're saying in a lot of situations is like, okay, look, um, there are folks you don't like, uh, you don't want them to win, 
So we're going to give you this other option that you find more acceptable. Um, and that's, that's the entire ballgame. And then if you say, look, maybe I'd like to be able to vote my values and not increase the chances of people I don't want to, to win winning. So let's just Im implement that system, ranked choice voting. Um, people will be against it, not for any good principled reason, but for just for the simplest, most straightforward reason, which is like they, they like things uh, in a way that they can control. Um, you know, it's like if you look at the, the objections to ranked choice voting, they, they just seem so disingenuous. Like I just wish someone would raise their hand and be like, hey, we don't like this because uh, it would make things less controllable and predictable for us, like whoever us is, because that's the truth of it. Like, but, but, but what is the actual, like, you know, what, what's like the stuff they present? Too confusing, like too obtrusive, not ready. I mean, like this stuff is, is stupid, really. I mean, like I, I, I'm a parent, I've got a 10 year old and a seven year old. They can rank their preferences one, two, and three. If I go into like a McDonald's and be like, "Hey guys, like, what do you want?" <laughs> you know, like, like that they they can sort through candidates that uh, might have different letters next to their name. You know, like that that this is so saying that that's too much of a hurdle for voters is really just you know it's not honest. Uh, you know, and and also as a numbers guy too. I mean, ranked choice voting has been used in New York where I'm, I'm where I live. And uh, uh, 80, uh, 88% of New Yorkers found it simple to use. Um, and so one of my jokes is like 88% of New Yorkers is like 100% anywhere else. Oh, no. <laughs> <laughs> or, um, you know, it's like, or, you know, I mean, I think it was around the same percentage of Alaskans. So like saying this stuff's complicated is like, it's really weird because it's like, wait a minute. You know, like nine out of 10 folks in these other places found it easy to use. And even the one out of 10 that didn't find it easy to use, like figured it out. Yeah. <laughs> you know what I mean? It's not like they, they just like got discombobulated and like ran out and didn't like fill out a freaking candidate. I mean, you can fill out one candidate and, and just rank someone first and, and that's all you do and it's fine. I, I, my mom is, is here and she loves to tell people about me as a child. And when I was a child, for my Christmas list, I actually, Christmas list, I actually did the ranked choice thing. I was oh, like, this dope. is what I really want. But if you don't get me this, then I want these two things. That's good. And if you don't get me these, then I want all of this. You're ahead of your time. Yeah, you know, yeah. so. It's, also made your life, made, made your mom's life easier. <laughs> well, I, I ended up usually getting the everything. So I think that was the easier part. Wow. Some, some good, good, uh, mothering. Yeah. <laughs> but with that, I want to talk about consciousness because I think that's really the idea of change is one that is one that is hard for people to embrace. It's the saying that everybody wants change, but nobody wants to change. And so is our consciousness as a society ready to do things differently? And here's kind of what I mean. We're comfortable with the two-party system. We've, we've experienced that. We've had that. We're comfortable with capitalism. And we think that that's, even though most people define it completely incorrectly, and most people are not capitalists, but that's a whole other podcast. Um, even though that's the case, they're comfortable with it. They're familiar with it. Are we evolved enough in our consciousness to evolve? Yeah. I, in, in many ways, that's the threshold question, isn't it? Um, uh, and... For people who become anxious and insecure and, and, and fearful, and then if you present change, they're like, oh, you know, like it's going to be worse. Like, I, I get it because we have been eroding your confidence in our ability to evolve positively, probably, you know, for years and years. 
And, and so then if someone shows up and it's like, hey, it's evolution time, they'd be like, oh, like, I, I don't believe we can do it. And you're like, oh, it's like, yeah, you might, you know, might have a point. But, um, but in my view, we don't have a choice but to try to bring people in that direction because things will not stay the same even if you'd like them to. Like things are going to get worse or better. And in, and in many cases, things are getting worse, not better. And so then your only choice then is to be like, okay, let's make things better. Um, and then you have to get enough people to have their heads up and have a mindset of compassion and hope and abundance and optimism and possibility. I mean, my, my uh, I think my value add in many ways is that uh, I uh, can see things that are possible and then let other people know it's like, hey, we actually can do these things. We can do better. And I've lived versions of it myself. I mean, you know, I was like the child of immigrants. My parents came here and like I was just told get good grades and get a good job and the rest of it. Uh, and then I uh, started a company and it failed. And then I, I, you know, got up and tried again and then ended up doing a whole set of really unlikely things in like a relatively compressed period of time. I mean, heck, I ran for president of the United States as a, uh, as a nobody. Um, raised $40 million, made seven presidential debates, outcompeted, gosh, a dozen political brand names, mainstreamed uh, an idea that most people thought was far out initially, but now a majority of Americans are for. Uh, and now when you look at our two-party system, like we need the same kind of uh, like evolutionary energy and mindset being like, look, guys, like you can do a holding action on the way uh, – like to, to ruin, which is, by the way, where we are right now. <laughs> or we can actually try to do things uh, differently and better, um, adopt processes that will make us more accountable and representative, elect folks like you who don't want to just like, you know, bang the party drum and, and will work with anyone who wants to do good um, and your, your values driven. You'll try and... Um, uh, be universal and not parochial, you know? Um, I mean, I, I think, uh, so like I, I've run for office uh, a couple of times. I, I've supported dozens, hundreds of people who've run. And uh, most of the people that I've supported um, have been really well-intended, exceptional humans. Um, and many of them have not won their races. And, and, and so you see that there is like this, like you, you imagine that there's this like correlation. It's like, oh, this good person is doing the right things. Like they should win. Um, and, and then that's not the way it shakes out. Like in a lot of these instances. Uh, and, and so you start also, frankly, some really not so great people sometimes win. <laughs> like I've, I've, I've seen that too. Um, uh, and you still have hope that, um, that there's this mindset of, optimism that can help win the day and make it so that more positive outcomes happen. Because I think that that's the struggle the country is undergoing right now is that you have pessimism versus optimism or uh, like anxiety and fear versus, um, versus generosity and compassion. Uh, and I would say right now the negative forces have an edge or are winning um, for a whole host of reasons. Um, uh, and that's scary. Um, but the, the fear, if anything, it should embolden us because you're at a point now where um, you're going to experience change in some way and you, you can experience positive change very, very quickly just as you can experience negative change quickly.
What's the one big lesson you took away from your presidential run? Uh, that I married well. <laughs> Still married. Um, no, the so so this is going to to sound. This is is uh, um, uh, maybe a little bit uh, specific, um, but I, I've learned of the importance that the media has in a certain contexts, like a presidential primary. Uh, where most voters are taking their cues from certain media orgs and uh, the, these media orgs um, sometimes don't play it straight. You know what I mean? I mean, that, that's one of the things that, like, I, I went in with a higher degree of faith than I came out. I, I can totally see that. Um, I've watched some of your interviews online and I'm like, are you serious right now? Like, are you really asking him that question right now? And it's frustrating for me uh, because I've been, I've been asking questions a long time. You know, I've been, I've been asking them really my whole life. And I ask with curiosity. But what I see in, in the media and which amplifies some of this extremist conspiracy theory driven energy is that it is disingenuous. But the media really is trying to pigeonhole you into a position that's not yours. I did a radio interview this week and the host asked me, what's the one thing you're going to do when you get in office? And I'm like, that's a great question. I'm one voice out of 42 and it has to go through the Senate and to the governor. So I can't promise you anything, but that doesn't make for good radio. And so I, I, I can bring my character. I can bring the way that I think about problems, but I can't promise you that if you elect me, I'm going to get better schools. I'm going to try, but I'm one of 42 and there are systems in place that are actively against changing the way things are. So um, I guess I say all that to say, I prefer podcasts because you can talk a little longer. Yeah, yeah. Uh, it's, so the, the media definitely ends up trying to drive uh, ratings and energy in a particular way. Um, I, cable news is maybe the worst medium. Uh, podcasts are much better. Radio is somewhere in between. Um, but it's one reason why I value what you're doing here with your um, Compassion in Las Vegas podcast is because you recognized very quickly that you need to have like a, a way that you can get your message out in a way that's genuine uh, and have conversations with people in a human uh, way that actually l lets people get a sense for themselves. Yeah. All right. So I want to switch directions for a bit as we, we wrap up our time together. I want to know what you're listening to. What music is keeping you going these days? No, it's weird. As I've become um, a bit more of a fuddy-duddy, I've found myself listening more to 80s music um, because, like, there was a long period when I was, like, moderately current, and then, okay. I, then I was not current anymore, and so then I just have, like, recalibrated and been like, oh, let me just listen to the, the stuff I grew up with. Uh, <laughs> hey, nothing wrong with 80s music. Yeah, there is nothing wrong with 80s music. I'll fight anyone who says there is something wrong with 80s music. So, you like, it's... I was about to say it's the best decade of music. I don't know if that's true. Is it? Wait, wait. Best decade of music. Okay, I'd put the 80s above the 90s and the 2000s. So, yeah, I guess it's 80s. <laughs> so, 80s, you had Tina Turner. You had Michael Jackson, Whitney Houston. Prince. Prince. Maybe I the mean, greatest of all time. The, the list just goes on and on. So, 80s is a hard decade to beat. I, you know, so, I, I yeah, it's like... <laughs> one of like so when, when I was running for president, I got to meet some uh, like uh, rock stars that I idolized as a kid, and I'm just like, oh my gosh, like this, and then and, and they, you know, like 
knew who I was because I was running for president and all that stuff. And I was like, <laughs> it's evil. So, Not a bad so, perk, right? So I ended up, yeah, I mean, you know, um, yeah, I mean, it was like, uh, I, it was one of the, some of the only times I fanboyed out. Um, uh, you know, but uh, I was talking to someone who was friends with Prince before he passed. And it was like, oh, Prince would have really loved you. And then I thought to myself, it's like, I might have met Prince. <laughs> maybe, maybe so like... I, you know, I love Prince. He's a genius. I saw him in concert any number of times, but like, I would never imagine myself meeting him as like a, you know, like, a, you know, in a social context. Um, so anyway, I, I was a missed, um, the, you know, rest in peace, Prince. Yeah, I would have liked to meet him too. I did get to see him live as well. So that's nice. Where, where, where did you see him? Detroit, Michigan. Oh, really? Yeah. At, at one of the big stadiums that we have there. It, no, I take that at a theater, uh, Fox Theater in Detroit. Yeah, he played uh, very small venues mm -hmm. and big venues. It's yeah. wild. I, I saw him in some very, very small clubs. Yeah. And it was where he would just go and like mess around. Mm -hmm. <laughs> he was a real musician. Like, he was a real freaking musician. The craft was it for him. So, all right, what about books? What book would you recommend that folks read? Uh, right now, uh, I'm, I tend to read a lot of books about democracy. Um, so, uh, so I, I, you know, this is going to be self promotional, but I, I did write a book uh, about my presidential campaign and what I learned and figured out and why I think we need to have a different approach to party politics called forward uh, notes in the future of our democracy. And, and I, for people who are concerned about democracy, like I'm concerned too, I might be concerned for slightly different reasons than, than others are, but uh, it's, we're, we're really in a very, very precarious time. Um, so in addition to, to, um, to that, that suggestion, uh, another book that I read recently, I was very excited about. Tell you, you know, there, there's a book. This is going to be very, very wonky, but it, it. I read a book called The Politics Industry that really affected me, and and it, it talks about how the incentives in our system um, drive decision makers a certain way. Yeah, just one quick deviation on that. Yeah, incentives. When you change the incentives, the behavior changes. I don't know why that seems to be a hard concept Seriously. for people to get, but like if you change that, things change. So. Anyway, back to you. Yeah, yeah, yeah. No, I, and that, that's, it's like people, I, it, it drives me nuts when people are like, just go on, on TV or whatever and be like, hey, um, like, let, let's, uh, let, let's be moderate. Let's uh, get along. When all the incentives are to be a nutcase. Mm -hmm. You know what I mean? Like if I'm a nutcase, I, I get energy, I get money, I get votes, I get all this stuff. Particularly, frankly, on, on one side, like, like you know, like, you know, it's like, like on that side, um, and, and so those incentives are just compounding and getting stronger. And so, if you want things to get better, then change the freaking incentives. Uh, you know, like where you changed the incentives in Alaska, and look what happened. Sarah Palin loses in a race that she would have won in a conventional uh, uh, process. Lisa Murkowski. Only Republican senator who voted to impeach Donald Trump, who's up for re-election. Republicans in Alaska, her approval rating went down to 6%. Um, and yet she somehow got through the primaries. You know why? Because anyone could vote in that primary. If it was just a Republican primary, there's no way she's coming back. Oh, by the way, if there was a Republican primary, she probably would not have voted to impeach Trump because of incentives. You know, you look around at, at these other political figures. If you expect someone to do something that's professionally... Uh, career ending, like you're going to be waiting for a long time, you know? So like what, what you should do is be like, let, let's make it so that you actually get rewarded for doing the right things. Expecting someone to do the right things when they're getting rewarded for doing the wrong things is just unintelligent. Yeah. 
And you, you picked up on something that I, I hadn't connected, which is if she hadn't had the ranked choice system, then having to face that primary in a traditional way would have discouraged her from doing the right thing. So uh, I heard uh, that half a dozen Republican senators have gone up to Lisa Murkowski and said, I envy you so much that you don't have to deal with the primary. Now, can they say that out loud? Of course not, because the Republicans in their party be like, oh, you, you, like, you don't like us? <laughs> but there, there are a bunch of Republican senators that are like, oh my gosh, if, if I, I could just be free of that, that primary, I might, like, I, I too might have voted to impeach Trump or whatnot. Because you know, like, a critical mass of those Republican senators freaking, like, you know, can't stand Trump, but then they'll, they'll just, like, fall in line, which is the path to ruin in this country. You know, you have people who are, are going to, um, be rewarded. And so one of the most dark examples, and this is something um, um, here people here might, might not know about. Um, so Mike Lee in Utah, who's running against Evan McMullen. Mike Lee was an anti-Trumper who voted for Evan McMullen in 2016 as a protest against Trump, being like, Trump is not my, my guy. And then fast forward, now he's like Trump endorsed, texting with Mark Meadows on January 6th, being like, uh, you know, it's like, now I'm Trump's guy. So he went, he just like flipped completely from being a never Trumper to um, to Trump acolyte and a stooge. And, and so now he's running against Evan McMullen, the guy he voted for in the presidential election in 2016. And Evan McMullen's like, dude, you voted for me. <laughs> and, 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 and now you're like, you know, a, a Trumper. And you know why? Because Mike Lee figured out that's where his bread is buttered. That's like, look, you know, like the, the Republicans in Utah will, will be down for Trump. Um, so I guess I'll be down for Trump too. Uh, you know, like it, it's, uh, it, it, it's saddening to see many political figures kind of just go where uh, like their their uh, base is going. But I, I know people who are running uh, in um, in that party uh, who are saying things. It's like they, there's no way they believe that. But that but that they are competing, and uh, on some level, um, you have to say, well, it's like, look, if I want these people to to seem more reasonable, I have to change the system they're in. Yeah. If we look at our ballot question here, yes on three, the there are several organizations that have just left that off of their cards, you know, vote for all of these candidates, vote for this, vote yes on one, vote yes on two, and then as if three doesn't exist, which I respect that they didn't just say no, but I also am like, but you actually support this. And so why wouldn't you tell your base? It's because of fear, because it's like, oh man, do I really want to go uh, against like the party establishment and, uh, you know, like... Uh, get someone mad at me. I mean, like it's one of the things too, when I left um, the democratic party, um, like I was shocked at how much, uh, yeah, you know, like people would, um, close ranks, you know, like people that I considered, uh, myself to be very, very cool with. Uh, I'm still cool with some of them, but like some of them, uh, you could tell are just like, uh Oh, uh, and, and so there, there's a lot of fear. Uh, and I, I think that that's really bad for all of us, that, that if, if folks can't express their support for this ballot initiative because they're like afraid of like pissing someone off, um, I, like it, it I'll, I'll rewind to something, you know, during the pandemic, I went on um, CNN and was talking about how like, you know, they should pass a relief bill at a time when 80% of Americans wanted a relief bill, like in, in late 2020. Um, and uh, uh, like I... I it turns out that like you were not allowed to criticize the Democrats in action on um, on that bill. 
Um, and Nancy Pelosi at that time, not, like, was holding it hostage, and you know, you, like, you know, only she knows why. Um, but uh, you know, like, the anchor was like, "Hey, what do you think?" And I just I said, it, honestly, I was like, I was like, honestly, like, they should just freaking pass this bill. I mean, like, what the holdup is. Um, and, and there, there was this uh, need to correct me um, that I was just like, like I, I thought it was mind blowing, um, where. You can, anyone who wants to look this up, they can. Um, Nancy Pelosi went on that show the next week to sort of, uh, to, <laughs> to, to like correct me. Wow. And, uh, and, uh, yeah, so you're just like, like people can't express their opinion? Like what, what the heck's going on? Like, you know, like that, that, that was wild. And by the way, her, her like correcting me was not a confidence inspiring performance and ended up, you know, you can also look that up. <laughs> All right. So if you had a magic wand and you could do anything in the world and it's not passing ranked choice voting aside from that, what would that thing be? I mean, it, it would be uh, massive poverty relief. I mean, like, you know, we, we end up winning ourselves as a parent too. Like you invest in kids like you'll get returns back um, many times over the child tax credit showed that uh, you look at health productivity mental health education all outcomes like all of it like we'll, we'll get it all back uh, if you're a company and I've run organizations um, and you invest in people like you win um, it, it's just in our political system uh, that that's seen as a pure cost and a waste and it's really dark it's very dehumanizing uh, you know, it's like any good company invests in its people, any good country or society that wants to like flourish invests in its people. Um, here, uh, you know, and, and this too, this is one of my beefs with the Democratic Party. It's like the Democratic Party does not want to invest in people. It wants to invest in systems. It wants to invest in bureaucracies. Uh, you know, like as a parent, um, parents might be able to relate to this. Like two thirds of our kids' outcome is determined outside of the school. It's like what's happening in the home. Uh, like, you know, words read to the kid, levels of stress in the household, nutrition, like any of a bunch of things. Um, and, and so when you say to, to folks, like, I want to help kids learn, the best thing we could do is just put resources into the household and the kid don't have a much better chance to learn. But the, the, but for whatever reason, like, that's not the way we think in our systems today. And, and, and that's what my, my big problem is with our current um, uh, political approach is that uh, what happens to people and families isn't the measuring stick. I mean, the child tax credit that was passed nationally, and people who are watching this remember this, like that where you were getting 300 bucks a kid for a number of months um, in, in 2021. And you remember those checks. And by the way, 174 economists looked at it and said, this is the best thing the American government has done for its people in a generation, and we should keep doing it. So what happened? Of course, they, they got rid of it at the beginning of this year in 2022. And one of the things that stunned me was that there was no outcry. It's like millions of families just had a lifeline cut in a way that they felt immediately. Like protests in the street, no. Like uh, like anyone like uh, you know um, like like outside of uh, uh, members of Congress offices, no. Press treatment almost completely absent. Like just the the people and families did not matter. So if you ask me what I would do if I had a magic wand, it's just to like put resources into people's hands and lift people out of poverty. I think that's something that's hoping to get you a magic wand when you leave here. Uh, I'm still working on it. And, and my belief, I mean, people come up to me sometimes, they're like, hey, Yang, where's my thousand bucks? And I say, still working on it. Um, but like the, the, the ways to get there 
are through reforming our political system, voting yes on three, making it so that people and our leaders are actually connected, and then our leaders might actually deliver for us. Awesome. Well, thank you so much for joining the podcast. It's been beyond a pleasure. I mean, I could keep you here for several more hours, but I think our, our audience is probably like, okay, great. So um, I do appreciate you. I appreciate you being a visionary and having the courage to fight for change. That's big. Well, you know, we, we have to get people feeling positive enough to, to think that change is a good thing. And one way to get them there is to have someone like you in the state assembly because, you know, people around you would be like, oh, that this guy actually cares about me and mine and, and wants to do right by us. Thank you. This has been Compassionate Las Vegas, the podcast. I'm Will Rucker. And as I always remind you, you are not just a drop in the ocean. You are the entire ocean in a drop. And what you do matters. So live compassionately. Live.